welcome to episode 37 of Have a Blessed Gay, your spiritual comedy podcast. I'm your holy host, Tyler Martin, talking about spirituality, religion, and social issues from an outcast perspective. And today, I am so excited for our guest, Ross Murray. Ross is a senior director at the GLAAD Media Institute. He's a founder and director of The Naming Project, which is a super cool faith-based camp for LGBTQ youth and their allies. And he's the author of a new book just released April 20th called Made Known Loved, Developing LGBTQ Inclusive Youth Ministry which explores how people can work toward making their youth ministry and church inclusive. He has written and appeared on numerous media outlets, including CNN, MSNBC, USA Today, The Washington Post, The Huffington Post, and Religion News Service, just to name a few. Ross is a deacon in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America with a specific calling to bridge the LGBTQ and faith communities. And this work is really important. I mean, just this month, Arkansas became the first U.S. state in the U.S. to prohibit physicians from providing gender-affirming treatment for trans people under the age of 18. There are countless anti-LGBTQ plus bills in circulation right now across America, and they don't just affect adults. They affect youth and children, some of the most vulnerable in our society. We gotta fight back and protect our youth. And part of that is making sure we are cultivating uplifting and affirming spaces. Spaces where they are not left to wonder if being LGBTQ plus is alright, but spaces where there is no doubt that LGBTQ plus people are affirmed and uplifted. Talking about this subject matter, it made me think back to my childhood and immediately veggie tales popped in my head. I grew up watching Veggie Tales. Shout out. Not to brag, but completely to brag. My father worked at a Mardell, which is a sister store to Hobby Lobby, but even more Christian. Like, it's a very, very Christian store, y'all. And one day they had a real life Bob and Larry come in from Veggie Tales. And no big deal, but being the manager's son, I got to go in the back and meet them before all the stupid kids standing in line got to. I know, I was pretty cool. And all this talk about inclusivity got me daydreaming. What if we had an inclusive Veggie Tales? It could be called Fruity Tales. Kind of like Veggie Tales, but gay. Well, gayer. Like, what would that be like? If you like eggplant emojis, if a peach can make you smile, if you like to watch RuPaul's Drag Race and walk with whoever the hell you want down the aisle, have we got a show for you. Featuring silly songs with Harry Larry, part of the show where Harry Larry comes out and sings a silly song. Our curtain opens as Harry Larry, having just finished his morning bath, is searching for his iced coffee. Oh, where is my iced coffee? Oh, where is my iced coffee? Oh, where, 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 where
is my attacking. And featuring Mr. Lunt singing love songs. someday <laughs> if you did not watch veggie tales growing up i'm sure you're like what the hell did i just listen to <laughs> please go and partake i'm really stoked for you to hear from ross murray we chat about youth ministry the lutheran church god's pronouns queer interpretations of the christian bible legislation and how we can make spaces more inclusive, specifically for youth. Now, remember to like, follow, subscribe, and if you listen on iTunes, you can leave a review. It's free, it's fast, and it greatly helps the podcast. So if you love it, please take a moment to do that. I so appreciate your support and love. Now, without any further ado, let's get to rocks. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp, the leading provider of online counseling. Y'all, the world is crazy and mental health is important. Some might even call it spiritual. I personally use BetterHelp myself and absolutely love what they're doing. BetterHelp makes professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient. So if you're struggling emotionally, battling anxiety, or you can't stop crying after an episode of Queer Eye, BetterHelp can be there for you anytime, anywhere. Go to my personal link at BetterHelp help.com slash blessed gay to check it out and get what 10% off the best part is you don't even have to leave your house they offer four ways to speak with a licensed counselor video calls phone calls real-time chat and direct messaging all counselors have been qualified and certified by their state's professional board in other words, you're not talking to a lobster dressed in human clothes. They're legit. All you gotta do is go to my link at betterhelp.com slash blessed gay and begin the questionnaire to match you with a therapist who is uniquely qualified to serve your needs. How sexy. It's super duper easy and you're matched within 24 hours or less. BetterHelp has a monthly subscription rather than paying per session, which makes it cheaper. But if finances are still a concern, financial aid is available for those who qualify. Get counseling, improve your life, and help this podcast out in the process by going to betterhelp.com slash gay. Sign up today and get 10% off. That's betterhelp.com slash gay. The Ross Murray, welcome to Have a Blessed Gay. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Well, I just want to get into it. Tell us who you are and what the hell you do. Sure. Yeah. So I am Ross Murray. I am a Lutheran deacon uh, with a calling to do LGBTQ advocacy. And that in my day job 
is being a senior director at GLAD, um, helping to run the GLAD Media Institute. I've been there just about 10 years now. And I know my 10 year anniversary is in a couple of weeks. And then my other kind of side life has been doing all this LGBTQ religion stuff. And so I've been a founder and a director for a youth ministry program called The Naming Project since 2003. Uh, and been running an LGBTQ church camp, um, so queer church camp for teenagers uh, in non-COVID years, at least. Uh, and we're figuring out how to do one this year that'll be a little bit different. But uh, those kind of two pieces of my life sort of overlap and kind of support each other. And I get to be a Lutheran, gay, grown-up advocate, youth ministry person. <laughs> yes, what an amazing hybrid. I love it. <laughs> it doesn't fit on business cards well at all. Though. Yeah, whatever. Make your own. Paint it on a van and drive that shit around, you know? Right, right. <laughs> I am so stoked to talk with you about The Naming Project and your new and very first book, Made Known Loved. But first, I want to find out how you became the powerhouse activist you are. Just take us back in time to little gay Ross frolicking about. What was your childhood like? You were raised in a religious household, yeah? I, I was, like, no one in my family is clergy or anything. We were just mm -hmm. active in our church. And I, I grew up out in the woods. Um, the town where I'm from was 800 people. Oh, my um, gosh. Yeah, my high school class was 30. Um, and, and I lived out of town. So I lived like 15 oh, miles no. out of town in the woods. <laughs> so my childhood, and, and this, is, it, this is a weird little child, like a small town. And these are odd things. It's on the Canadian border, um, in Northern Minnesota. If you know, international falls, that is the coldest place in the country usually. And so I grew up outside of a little town out there out in the woods no telephone till I was a junior in high school and only Canadian television for a while. Wow. So it's me, okay. it's me and my sister and like 10 acres of <laughs> forest around us. And small towns are not always great for little gay boys um, who are growing up. So I struggle with that um, and love my family, love my church. Like the places that I felt the best and the safest growing up were with my family and with my church community. Um, and so that also fed into more involvement, right? More churchy stuff like these are, it reinforces all of it. And, you know, and connected and got involved and did a lot of the youth ministry stuff as a youth. And that led me into when I got into college, doing a major in youth and family ministry. So youth ministry is what I've wanted to do uh, for a long time and go from there uh, into seminary, uh, get a degree in Christian education and always knowing that I was gay. And especially since I went to college, being really in a good place to integrate those two things in my life enough that other students didn't realize like how like, how do you do both of these things? I was very active in campus ministry. I was also very out and it worked really well for me. And after college, I joined this traveling musical ministry program. The thing where you like live out of a van and like stay in host homes and do programs and churches and stuff like that. So my friends had done it. It, there, you know, it involved travel, involved international travel. I was super excited for it and um, joined, was a part of it. And because I'd had such a good experience, like being out and being myself in college and like even winning, I had a conservative roommate in college that when I came out to him, he was like, well, you seem like you're a really good person. And like, and we got along really well. And I think I like changed his heart. So I was like, oh, I just like, 
use my natural charm and this will work. And it did not work the same way um, in this group. So I was with them for about three or four months. Someone anonymously reported the organization like, did you know that Ross is gay and he has a boyfriend? And when there's a breaks, he goes and spends time with his boyfriend. <gasps> Scandal. Exactly. So yeah. I, I got kicked out um, and that, you know, it was horrible, but that was kind of the inflection point because after that, the people that were doing LGBTQ religious advocacy, especially in the Lutheran church, like heard about my story. They were mad on my behalf and got me connected and involved with an organization that was trying to make the Lutheran church more welcoming and more inclusive. And so um, got connected with them, uh, did some work, actually worked for the organization. My job prior to GLAD was, was with them. We made the Lutheran church change their policy that allow, now allows clergy that are in same gender relationships. It's got a not perfect, but better understanding of human sexuality. Um, and so like, oh, this works really well. And then, and that is sort of what led me into GLAD of like, okay, we did this great work for the Lutheran church. Lutheran church doesn't have a whole lot of cultural like influence. And I would like to have, you know, I want to do something that's going to change culture. And so GLAD is a very culture changing organization using the media. I still get to do all my religion stuff, plus whatever else they give me at a given time. And so it's been a really good way of, uh, of living out my call um, and becoming a deacon whose call is to uh, work where the church meets the world. We are word and service. And my service is the advocacy and the word is uh, writing, preaching, you know, public statements, things like that, teaching. I do a lot of teaching through GLAD and, and that's the service that I do. And so I feel like I get to live out my call through all these things. And it came from being a little gay kid in a small town that felt the most comfortable in this church community. I love that. And I'm always so fascinated when people use the term calling, that they felt like they had a calling to do something, because typically it means something pretty different to each individual person. What does that word call, a calling, what does it mean to you exactly? Yeah, calling is fascinating. I it, The other big word you'll hear me use is vocation a lot. Like, And, and the two I think are, there's related. There's the two things that have always been the most interesting to me theologically is who am I and what am I going to do? And I think those two things are really related. And so part of the who am I really is like, who did God create me to be? What makes me me, right? What is God's creation? What have I learned? What kind of context am I being put in? Um, and that's a really big LGBTQ question, right? Because we, we get asked, you know, is you being gay? Is that God's creation or is that something else. Um, and so fundamentally believing that is part of God's creation. And then like, okay, God created you, made you tall and white and gay and all these other things. And then what are you going to do with that? And that's the calling question. Um, how do you use the gifts and skills and attributes that God has given you in this bigger, wider world? Is it to make myself a ton of money and just live rich and comfortable? Is it to be uh, of service or find a way to try to make the world a better place? And calling always has to be discerned. Like it's a constant question that you ask yourself. And maybe what I'm called to do 15 years ago is not the same thing I'm necessarily called to do now because we grow and we change and we get put in different contexts and we learn that we can do things that we didn't realize we could do. Um, and so 
there's this question of discernment that always happens to help us figure out, you know, what is God calling me to do? Can I do it? Am I excited about it? Do I feel like this is the thing I have to be doing? And, and, and it's, it's great to kind of have those questions and conversations. How then do you know when you're on a path of a calling? Would you say it's similar to intuition, a gut feeling, feeling whole? Like, what does that sensation feel like to you? It's a little bit like, um, it, there, there's a quote, and I used to talk about this in an old job. There's a quote that got way overused, but they would say, um, vocation is where your deepest gladness meets the world's deepest need. Mm. And it is that kind of dual sense of, this is what I should be doing. I, the gladness part I have a piece with, because I think sometimes we're called to do things that are difficult and hard. And sometimes that is suffering. But like, you kind of get this sense of like, I have to do this. This is something that I just, I'm compelled. I want to fix this problem, or I want to work on this thing, or I want to make life better. And I am actually meeting a need that exists in the world. And so for us, creating and developing the naming project was an, an idea of there are LGBTQ youth that are looking for some affirmation for who they are. And we have a lot of church people that maybe support them, but don't know how to do that in a way that really makes sense for them. And so let's create a space where youth can be as queer as they are or figure out how queer they are, quite frankly, and, and make it be safe for them to be able to do that, mm -hmm. let them know that that's a part of God's creation and who they are, and they get to figure out who God made them to be. That was a need. And so let's try and build and create and develop this. And then, you know, now 15, 18 years later, we're still doing our program. There are other places that are doing similar programs. And hopefully in congregations or churches, Young people are now starting to hear and learn and know this for themselves without feeling like they have to go to a special place like our camp. And that's kind of why I wrote the book that I wrote, The Made No Love Book. Well, you're doing terrific work in the queer Christian space, but also just tremendous work for the LGBTQ plus community outside of religion. And it's really wonderful to see. Because this is not a Christian-specific podcast, for those outside of the Christian faith or even for Christians who are unfamiliar, would you give us a little insight on who the hell Lutherans are? Right. <laughs> yeah, give us the down low on the Lutheran denomination of Christianity. What are the Lutherans all about? Yes, um, it's uh, so the Lutheran Church traces its roots back to a Catholic monk named Martin Luther. And uh, he, at the time, the Roman Catholic Church was kind of the Christian church. Um, the Orthodox was kind of its own, Eastern Orthodox own thing. But then you kind of saw like the Vatican, Rome, all that kind of ran and controlled everything. And uh, Martin Luther was, was devout. He was a lawyer who then became a monk. So he was very smart, but also just constantly under this constant feeling of threat of like, I am never doing enough stuff to please God. Um, I'm never, I'm trying to please God and I'm trying to live a full enough life so that God is going to uh, 
like me and when I die, let me into heaven. But I feel like I'm always doing it for the wrong reasons. I feel like I'm always doing it. I want to secure my, I want to secure my way into heaven. I'm not doing it for God. I'm doing it for me. And so my motivations are corrupting everything I'm doing. Like, and so we got into this cycle of like, nothing's ever good enough. Nothing's ever good enough, which led him to sort of this discovery of no, nothing that we do as humans are ever good enough. And it's kind of freeing to realize that our gift of grace or salvation or entry into heaven or however you want to think of it, that is God's action. And that God is giving us grace so that we can go out here and do these, you know, do good things in the world, but we don't do it so that we can curry favor with God. We do it because it actually helps somebody else. We're doing it because it helps the world. And we do it because we're thankful um, that we've already been given this grace. And so we don't have to worry so much about, oh, am I going to get, am I pure enough? Am I holy enough? Am I doing the right things? Am I being generous enough um, to be able to let myself into heaven? And that, that revelation for him made him realize that a lot of the structure of the, of the Roman Catholic church at the time, like was kind of corrupt and was built on, you have to do all the right things. You have to act in the right way um, and kind of exploiting people for that. Fast forward now, 500 years later, we're in a very different context. We still have a really dominant Christian culture that does sound like purity culture. You can't, these are things that you can do to be blessed or saved. These are things that you have to avoid. These are, you know, to, to be a real Christian, you have to vote with a certain political party, right? Um, and kind of those same things are coming up today, which is why I think Lutheran theology is incredibly still relevant and still a part of should be a part of our lives and our discourse and our culture today. And it's why I like being a Lutheran. Now, Martin Luther was a human, he was flawed. He did some stuff that was also not great. Like he's a, he's a person, right? He's not God. Um, and he would probably be appalled that there is a church that is named after him. Hey, maybe Jesus too, who knows? <laughs> yeah, true. Um, so, so yeah, he, and I, and I think that that's important. Like I, I, I love the idea of the gift of grace and it's not our action. Um, and that's really the core tenant. Um, and we struggle to live up to that. And we have since the beginning, we have for the last 500 years of the Lutheran church, we have for the last 2000 years of the Christian church <laughs> since Jesus. Um, and that's gonna constantly be the case. And this is something we're always like working on and trying to be better. And maybe we're not gonna get there and, and we're gonna keep trying because we have to. Well, you are trying and it is very appreciated. And I think this is an awesome time to get into your juicy book. Inside your book, you mentioned that many LGBTQ plus advocacy groups within the Christian faith do not include youth as part of their mission. Youth are left out with a primary focus on adults. Why do you think that is? And what inspired you to change the landscape and create the naming project. Yeah, I, that was one of the big things that we, like why we created the naming project. And I think it's gotten better. Like that was definitely true then in the early 2000s when I started asking around these organizations. The reason why they didn't want to include people under 18 was a fear of the accusations that were going to be lobbied against them. And that like predatory LGBTQ myth was so strong. And, and I mean, it still exists today, right? It exists in these um, bathroom bills or things that try still try to paint LGBTQ people as, as harmful or dangerous. Mm -hmm. And the groups were protecting themselves because 
if there was an accusation, even if it's not true, it getting picked up damages and hurts and probably could destroy the organization. And so it, it was a moment of self-protection. And I sort of looked at that and realized like, well, what we just need to have are really, really solid uh, protective policies and procedures in place that are going to make sure that young people are protected because young people should be protected no matter what church they're in. Like we're taking all these steps because we're queer, but we're actually holding back. Like you should be doing all this stuff too. Everyone should be. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, And so this was us, you know, so we'll create our program and our camp, any of our adult leaders, they go through a background check. I have a file on them, right? And they they know this and they sort of willingly submit to it because we want to make sure that we can demonstrate we take every step possible because we want young people to be safe. Um, and that's a big value of ours. And so we, you know, we'll, we'll go through this training. We'll go through what mandated reporting is. We'll go through these background checks so that parents feel comfortable, so that anyone that wants to say, this is what we do, I, I can say, here's my file. Here's my counselors. Here's the training we've done for them. Here's what they do um, and, uh, and, and can keep young people safe. Most churches don't do that level of work and, and they should. 100%. Like I know the youth stuff that I participated in at churches did not do anything like that. And they should, they should. That's what everyone should be doing. I just love that you saw a need and you filled it. You started a queer Christian camp, which is so wild and wonderful. I love it. And I actually have a very simple question for you about it. What does it mean to run a quote unquote Christian camp? What makes it Christian? Um, that's a good question. It, I think, I think the, the 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 Christian aspect of the camp really comes from the fact that we're intentional about recognizing um, that uh, God is a part of the world we've created. We're incorporating worship and prayers and Bible study as a part of the program. And if if you went to a church camp. You would probably recognize the daily structure that we that we're doing, right? Mm-hmm. It's got the morning devotions, it's got the evening worship, it's got the campfire with the touching little praise and worshipy songs. Um, and the young people that come to our program are coming from all sorts of different walks of life. Their relationship with faith, with Christianity. Some are some are agnostic, um, but still love to be at our camp. The adult leaders that we talk to them about, you know, be represent your own faith uh, really clearly. And you don't be scared that you're going to, you know, that that you're going to pull the youth in a certain direction because we need to sort of give them, these are all the possibilities. These are the ways that exist to be a spiritual person. These are all the ways that exist to be a Christian person. And in a way, I think of it, it's evangelism. I don't like hitting people over the head with evangelism. I want to give them the option. And they come... They sing the songs, they do the worship, they do all the stuff, they go along with it, they enjoy, they play the games, they meet their friends, and then they leave, and then maybe they carry a piece of that into the rest of the year. Maybe they carry it into, let me find a local church, or maybe they say, oh, this is just a little like prayer routine I'm going to do that I picked up a camp and they don't do anything else with it. That's enough, right? Evangelism is not my work. Evangelism is the work of the Holy Spirit, and I'm just trying to create a setting um, that the Holy Spirit can build and have a relationship with young people, but it's going to be up to them about what that's going to look like. 
I'd love to learn how you approach Bible study. Like, do you personally, do you believe that the Christian Bible is a holy book or do you approach it more from an historical, literary perspective? You know, what do you, what do you think of the Bible and why do you think it is useful to study specifically for LGBTQ plus individuals in today's world? Right. Um, so you asked an either or question. This is a very Lutheran answer. It is both. Um, <laughs> we do a lot of like simultaneously. So it is a holy book. I mean, I think that there is um, there is truth. There is it is a story of the ongoing relationship between God and humanity. And we get these stories, we get these poems, we get these prayers, we get these letters, and all of those give us people that you know, exist 2000 years after Jesus, um, to be able to get a glimpse into his life, his ministry, um, the, the whole history of where he come from, which comes from the Hebrew scriptures, right, that we still consider holy. Mm -hmm. And we know that it was it was written to answer specific questions. It was written to address specific problems and issues, which may or may not be the same issues that we have today. And so it doesn't mean that we don't find truth there, but it also it also means that we have to bring ourselves to reading scripture. It's not just, I read scripture and this is gonna tell me how to live my life. Um, it's gonna be, I'm gonna to come to scripture with who I am, with my thoughts, with my questions, with my concerns. And I'm gonna find stuff in there that is going to give me a hint of, this is how I can live my life without being that really like super directive directive. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that's been kind of fun to do and the leaders of Naming Project are, are good at this, um, you know, are there queer people in the Bible? Well, queer as a word didn't really exist back then. No one's gonna call themselves queer, but we're queer people going to read scripture. And then I read stories that sound a lot like things that I've been through, right? I hear stories about that they're a different time, they're a different place, and yet they somehow just like seem similar to something else that I'm hap that, that's happening in my life. And so, um, that's where the truth and the source is coming from here is this scripture that was, you know, written hundreds of years ago, compiled hundreds of years ago, is somehow still relevant to my life today in 2021. Um, and then that's how we build the Bible study for the naming project, right? We've got a theme. We've got, we preach you some scriptures, we bring up some stuff, you know, and we sort of read it, but the scripture is often a springboard to what's happening in their own life. Um, and it, inviting them to sort of examine, you know, how does this sound like your life or your experience or the questions that you're answering? And maybe you're going to see yourselves in these stories in a way that you that wouldn't have happened if you were in a, another setting where someone's going to interpret the story in a completely different way. Our lens as LGBTQ people helps us to see stuff in the stories that haven't been lifted up or demonstrated for most of the Christian church. And I think that makes the scripture even more relevant and salient to us in our lives. Uh, something that I loved when you were talking about the Bible in your book, in chapter seven, you talk about the importance of names and how you use scripture from the Christian Bible to illustrate that significance, which I thought was really fascinating. You know, there's so much, so much stigma and hostility toward the trans community right now, even from within the LGBTQ plus community, which just makes me so livid. It's so baffling. Names play a major role in everyone's lives, but especially important in a trans person's life and journey. Would you just talk about 
what you learn from the Christian Bible regarding names and their significance. Yeah, I mean, the irony of living today and finding that there are Christian folks that refuse to recognize transgender people's names and and pronouns, right, and identity, and trying to do some argument of like, well, that's the name that you were given, it's the one you have for the entire rest of your life, when our Bible is chock full of stories of people who were given a name by their parents and lived with that name for some period of their life, and then it changes, and it usually changes at a moment where their destiny has changed. You were known as this for so long, and now you are turning in a completely new direction, and you are gonna be known as this. Um, That, I mean, I am not transgender, but I can imagine just hearing complete affirmation that, like, yes, when I get to like, you choose get a new name that more reflects who I am, um, reflects how people see me and know me, it does change your destiny. Yes, and even diving further into names and labels, going off of something you said earlier, us being made in God's image. Okay, well, if we are all made in their image, then that means that God looks like every single one of us. And that includes the entire spectrum of gender, race, age, size, everything. So why do we not see that reflected in our songs, in our literature? You have a section in your book regarding Christian songs and the names and pronouns used for God. You stated, I became more aware of how narrow our church song language is. And it is. And making these small changes to songs, giving people representation in their God is so easy, but it's so huge. And I wish more Christian communities would start implementing pronoun and name changes. Yeah. I mean, partly probably because these songs, they've been around for a long time. Like, again, they were not around since the beginning of time, right? Like, God did not write our camp songs. Wait, what? Um, but I, yeah. <laughs> Kumbaya was not divinely sent down from heaven. Yeah. Um, but I will say we, the, the camp songs that we sing are the same ones that I sang as a third grader. Like I know there's new ones, but I am old and I don't play guitar that well. Anyway, I was like, I learned these 12 and those are the 12 that like, I know how to do. That's what you're um, getting. Exactly. Like if I'm, if I'm leading it, you're singing this. Cause I don't know what else there is. Um, and then yeah, doing this examination and realizing I mean, it's true. Church songs in general have been very like God, Father, King, He, language. And and we've gotten better at that. But I mean, I don't want to throw away songs that folks like. And so if I can figure out a way to just ever so slightly modify them, um, then I will. And if we've done it already, there's a time, you know, we used to, all of our language for people used to all be masculine too. Um, and so, you know, we we had hymns, that you know faith of our fathers and and we figured out ways like oh we can diversify when we talk about people it's not that big of a leap to think about different ways that we that we think about god especially again because there is mothering language about god in the bible right there's gender neutral language how god is described in the bible so yeah again we just draw this we draw from this um, history and look at what's there and realize like, oh, we can reflect that too. And it might mean, you know, I, I tell campers like, look, if you want to switch up pronouns, you can do it. And I'm going to do it. I'm not going to tell you an order because I'm probably just going to like on the spot 
decide which one I'm gonna do. Muscle memory sometimes will, you know, whatever. Um, sometimes we can alter things or what I would love I would love for one of my campers who's more musically gifted than I am to like write a camp song. When I worked at a camp, a friend of mine, like on a dare, wrote a camp song, which oddly is still sung there. Like this caught on. Uh, and so, you know, and this was like, a, oh, this will be kind of dumb and funny. And it, it was and still catches on. And I was like, well, you know, if I can write this like silly campfire song that, does, you know, is fun to sing and doesn't have a lot of theological depth to it. Um, someone can do way better. And some of our other leaders at the Naming Project have been really good about bringing songs from other traditions that actually are better and more inclusive. It's also like, it's not like there are no songs that were that were ever written. There are, there's good ones out there. They're just sometimes never part of our tradition. Oh yeah, all the Unitarian churches I've been to have used different pronouns for God, different names, and I think that's how it should be everywhere. Another theme that I really loved from the book, something that is not as overt, but more of an underlying theme that I picked up on very early on and something I very much appreciated was that when you use the word youth, you don't equate the word to mean uneducated, immature, unknowing, which I think we hear a lot. (laughs) And there's a range. Some... There are some highly educated, like they know they're self-aware, they're brilliant. And there's some that they're still stuck in their little bubble and God bless them. Like, I love the range. (laughs) Yeah. And that range is the same for adults, you know, like how many uneducated, unaware adults, you know, I'm sure quite a few. (laughs) No one has all the answers and that includes adults. It's so easy to feel arrogant and jaded as an adult to go in and, and preconceive what young people are going through, which, as you mentioned in the book, just leads to inauthentic relationships and manipulating the hell out of them. A quote from the book, you say, to make your ministry meaningful, don't manipulate youth, but flow through the wide range, there's that range, the wide range of emotions that come from a community living their lives together. I'm sure there is a lot, but right here, right now, what is something that comes to mind that you have learned from the youth that you've worked with? Um... Okay, the biggest thing that jumps into my head, it, it, it really is, it's the range. It is the, I continue to be in awe of a 14 year old that I don't think is paying attention. And then she comes out with like the most brilliant comment or question. And I think, oh, I underested, I've underestimated you for three days now. And you just like laid out this brilliant talent, um, the insider wisdom. And I think, to be constantly surprised like that. Uh, one, it's a check on me that I probably still, even though I say it, I probably still underestimate young people quite a bit. Uh, and don't, you know, it. and the other thing it demonstrates is we don't see people's talents until there is an opportunity for them to show up. Damn it, say it again, say it again. Right, and and, and this is, I said this with a brilliant question or a really smart person. I mean, this happened to our camp, um, the Naming Project runs, uh, you know, for a week and on the last night we have a little like coffee house talent show. Okay, until that point, I don't actually hear any kids singing by themselves, right? We're all just like singing around a campfire. And then one kid starts singing and I think, oh, you have a brilliant voice. I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't pick this up because 
I haven't had a spot, you know, a space to let you do that. I didn't know that you could play guitar. I didn't know that you wrote this poetry. I didn't know um, that you could do this. But once I created that like moment or that opportunity where you get to shine, now you're shining. And I'm so impressed with that and get to learn it. And I wouldn't have known that unless I figured out how to give a space to let you demonstrate your God-given talents. Mm, I think that is so important. And it's it's not just for youth. If you are not in a space that allows you to flourish, then how are you going to flourish if right. you're not? And if, yeah, if I'm trying to make them, you know, make them conform to my expectations, and this is true, right? If if, a, if another church or a school or an anti-LGBTQ person wants them to conform to their expectations, you brush out a little part of them. If I want to conform them to my expectations and try to live the life the same way that I do as a 40-something-year-old white gay guy, you know, I'm also going to crush a part of them because they're, you know, their lives and their experiences are different, even if there's portions that overlap or I can relate to. And so it is that making space so that they can figure out, again, identity, who did God make me to be, and vocation, what am I going to do in the world? Um, and having the openness and the support to be able to understand that, know it, claim it for yourself, and then go and live it out in the world. I think that support is also related to something else you talk about in the book. You make an amazing point about not participating in or supporting anti-LGBTQ plus businesses. It's not just about creating a safe bubble, but what does your bubble interact with? In the book you wrote, yes, saying no to or having to end your relationship with such convenient, fun, and slick organizations is going to mean more struggle for you. However, having your LGBTQ youth feel protected will more than make up for it. And I could not agree more. Yeah, I honestly, I think in this last year, my head has been more in that chapter than anywhere else because, and again, I got into this, I got into advocacy because I did join in one of those pretty well marketed, you know, groups that was there to help supplement the youth ministry of congregations. And, um, and I grew up and I felt called into it. And then in this space, they're like, no, this is you know, like, you can't be a part of this space. You being an openly gay person actively harms, you know, they said actively harms our ministry. Um, and the way that made me feel like I just couldn't, I, and you know, I was 24 at the time. If I was 14 at the time, that could be crushing in and of itself. And, um, and I run in youth ministry circles. And this is, this is a bit of the conundrum about my book, quite honestly. Um, the places that probably could use the book are the ones that are the least likely to want to engage with it. And I'm, you know, now that I'm, I'm a couple of days past my book launch when we're talking now, um, but I'm starting to think of, okay, how do I reach out to youth ministry organizations that do come from uh, less accepting denominations or church groups or religious groups and say, hey, this is a resource. You have LGBTQ youth in your youth ministries. Are you going to think of them as a problem that needs to be solved or like, oh my goodness, they're struggling and we have to help lead them out of it? Or are you going to help them recognize and understand and identify this is who God made them to be and help them to grow up and live as functioning, healthy adults? And I'll probably get rejected by the vast majority of them. I still want them to know I exist because I think 
under the official surface, there's still always care and concern for young people. But I've, you know, I've run up against organizations that, you know, that don't want openly gay youth ministry deacons to exist um, or to or to work in the world. And so, you know, I'll get great traction with the progressive denominations of which there are many, and I'm, I'm thankful for them. And I'm also, you know, how does this get into the Christian bookstore um, that maybe even a young person can find for themselves and realize that there are networks of adults that do care about them, even if they never, ever, ever will like walk in the door of our churches. I want to, I want to think of my ministry as beyond just what our church building is. And I think that's going to be a really hard part um, with some of these uh, denominations. And, and, and I'm carrying part of GLAD over into this too, right? I've lived through, I say this in the book too, but you know, you live through those quote unquote culture war moments. And I've been in the middle of Duck Dynasty and Chick-fil-A and, you know, stuff like that. And, and GLAD, you know, GLAD gets connected and involved. Um, I get where these organizations' motivations come from. It does not mean I agree or condone with those um, motivations. Um, and figuring out, you know, what's, how do I still make sure that the most vulnerable that are in those community settings have, can find some level of support? Um, and so I think that's going to be important. And I can't do it alone, right? I need us, I need us as consumers to make choices that if we have young LGBTQ people, maybe go using that organization for my trip um, is not a good idea because they're not going to be in a safe place. And that's, that's a hard decision to make because I want someone else to do my planning for me. Right? <laughs> I mean, listen, I'm from Texas and I have a whole episode revolving around this topic, specifically referring to Chick-fil-A <laughs> and the mega church hill song. But look, here I am, four years sober of Chick-fil-A, mm -hmm. telling you that you too can do it. <laughs> no golden fried chicken or any amount of convenience is worth people's lives. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's, and I, I also say it's not a boycott. This is really, it is really, our dollars are really big indicators of where our values are. Um, and so if you look at budgets, national budget, your church budget, right? Like, what are we spending money on? Your household budget, right? The things you spend money on are the things that you think are the most important. Okay, shelter is really important. Uh, yes. So yes, I'm going to pay for this rent um, because, I, you know, that's, that's, a, that's something that's important to me. Um, you know, where and how I give my money, um, are, are these important to me? Are these doing something wider out, out in the wider world? And, and I, it's easy for me to talk about Chick-fil-A. I grew up in Minnesota in New York, it's easy to boycott a place that you've never had access to before anyway. Like, oh, it's just over there. I'm, I'm the opposite of you. Like, oh, what, what is this store? What, why are people excited about this sandwich? I don't know. Oh, um, good for you. I'm just going to go back. I'm just going to go back to the Dairy Queen because that. <laughs> yeah, they haven't said anything problematic yet, have they? <laughs> I hope not because I still love them. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's a really great way to think of it. Where your money goes is a physical way to see your priorities. People underestimate their personal impact. A few dollars here and there doesn't really add up to much. But when we're talking about people's lives, any dollar amount is too much when it directly or even indirectly funds anti-LGBTQ plus 
legislation, yeah. which it was just February or March, right? When we topped yet again, the amount of anti-LGBTQ plus legislation on the local and state levels, which is just wild. With your work at GLAAD, seeing what happens in our country, I think you're a wonderful person to speak about this issue on a grand scale. What is happening with the rise of anti-LGBTQ plus legislation right now? I mean, I think this is a way to make sure that there is continued ongoing support for a political party that I will not name um, mm -hmm. or candidates that have decided that culture wars are the only way that they can try to win something. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and I'm and so I which means that they are using the most vulnerable young people as a pawn to be able to further their own careers or control or power. Transgender people are, are a threat to the patriarchy. They're a threat to white supremacy. And we all know that the patriarchy and white supremacy do not like threats and they like being in power and want to stay in power, right? And do whatever they can. And so I think I think this became, you know, this became the thing of like, if I can distract you and make you worried about a 16 year old getting on a hockey team or not, um, then maybe I can distract you from the fact that your pay hasn't gone up for the last three years. And no matter how hard you're working, you still end up kind of living in poverty because everything's gotten more expenses, but your wages have never gone up. Right. It's just, I think it's, I think it's that and getting further and further away from, again, looking at those stories and teachings that are coming from scripture that do have something to say about our lives every day. Transgender people don't show up, um, you know, we don't talk about transgender people explicitly in the Bible. Again, there's stories and parallels where people can find themselves, but there's a ton that is being said about the vulnerable and how much we do or don't do to help or whether people should have their debts canceled or, or whether the stranger should be welcomed and the sick be taken care of um, and the naked be clothed and that we're gonna be judged by how we treat the most vulnerable. So my latest biblical quote that I've been putting out here lately has been the, if you cause even one of the littlest ones to stumble, it would better if a great millstone were tied around your neck and you were thrown in the sea. Like that is harsh words, right? This is like, capital punishment for people that are going after trans youth. Um, and, yep. um, and, yep. and I, that's what I want us to get back to and, and want us to reclaim. But I think power is seductive and it's easy to fall into, and it's going to take constant work and vigilance, even from those of us that are like, you know, good progressive lefty queer folks, um, have to watch that as a trap for ourselves because, patriarchy and white supremacy and, and all the rest of that can really manifest itself in incredibly insidious ways and work its way into our lives, even if we think we're resisting it. Yes. And people tend to ignore or be oblivious to local and state legislation, yeah. but that legislation affects our daily lives. Yeah. 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 The local and state stuff has m more impact on our lived lives than the national stuff, which I pray this year people are looking at state legislatures and starting to say, okay, I don't, I don't like the direction this is going, but that's a harder sell. Um, and it doesn't get as much attention. And this is a glad piece, right? It doesn't get that national attention. I'm going to be talking to a church. I've been talking to a church in North Dakota in Fargo and tomorrow again on Sunday, and I'm going to go through, you know, your governor vetoed this law, but let these other things go through. 
what do you do now? What do you do for the young people that are in your congregation or in your town? And this is a church that, you know, is, is pro LGBTQ, but probably feeling a little bit helpless about, I can't, one little church in Fargo can't change the entire state. And that's hard. Yeah, it is. It's difficult. But something people can do is use your talents to help and benefit the world, like the calling we talked about earlier. And it doesn't mean you have to be a youth minister, even if you want to help youth within a church. You can simply volunteer or help out. There are so many ways to have an impact within a religion and also in our society. But for people who are specifically interested in making their church more inclusive and they want to find your book, where can they find it, purchase it, find out more about the naming project, and simply keep up with all the incredible work you're doing? Yeah, I would love people to join me. So um, I uh, I have a website, rossmurray.org or madeknownloved.org. It's a book title. They both go to the same place. Um, you can find out where to buy the book. It's on all the book selling places that you'd find. Um, sign up for my email newsletter. I'm working on worksheets. Like people, you know, I tell you to ask a bunch of questions. I give you a bunch of stuff to go through with this. And now I want to like make some supplemental materials. I'm going to start sharing that out. And if folks want to follow me on social media, uh, I am in lay terms on Twitter and uh, Instagram, which is me loving being a lay person and not necessarily clergy. And then the naming project is great. We, we are going to do camp this summer. We're staying virtual just because I don't know what this year is going to be like. But for young people between 14 uh, and 18, it's a gr- still a great community. And go to thenamingproject.org to learn about our uh, youth ministry, our camps, even just learning some of the stuff that we've learned. We're starting to do more and more workshops like this too. So happy to follow up with folks to help them learn this stuff that we had to learn over the last 20 years. Ross, you are so inspiring. Thank you for the work that you are doing and putting out into the world. And thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you so much, Tyler. So good to be here. Oh, I love Ross. So many good points. Here are my main takeaways from this conversation. Number one, nothing we do as humans is ever good enough. And it's kind of freeing to realize that. Number two, when you read religious texts, the Christian Bible or others, can you see yourself in it? What's a different perspective? What is your perspective? Number three, youth doesn't mean immature or unknowing. We all have ranges. Respect each individual person and their range. Number four, names are important. Language is important. It's so damn easy to change pronouns and names to make spaces inclusive and affirming. It truly is the bare minimum. Number five, where we give our money is a physical indicator of our priorities. Make sure you know who and what you're supporting. Yes, it might mean that it's not as convenient and sure, that sucks. But people's lives, well, they should be more important than that. Number six. Local and state legislation affects our daily lives. Fight to stop hateful legislation. If you enjoyed Ross, and I'm sure you did, check out the links to all his amazing work, including his new book, in the show notes. Again, rate, follow, subscribe, and leave that review. Thank you, thank you in advance. 
Also, I always love hearing from you. You can reach out to me in the email in the show notes or on social media at Have a Blessed Gay on all the platforms. And make sure to follow for some goodies on there too. Now listen, if you are not in an inclusive environment, you're struggling and you need help, I always post helplines in the show notes, so please do not hesitate to reach out if you need to. And please remember this, you are special, you are purposeful, and you are fucking beautiful. Have a blessed day, y'all.